Hello, welcome to Cold Pizza. My name's Rusty. I'm a pastor here at Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio, and this is our weekly podcast where we take the opportunity to squeeze out every last bit we can from the proclamation of God's Word on Sundays. It's our chance to sit down with the preacher, tackle any further questions, applications, or other bits of leftover crust to chew on that didn't make it into the main meal. So grab a slice and join us this week with Pastor Jeff. Hey guys, how you doing? My name is Jeff. My name is Jeff. That's for, ben, that's for you, Ben Johnson, if you still listen to these. Or you've gotten too cool in Albuquerque. Too cool? Well, too hot, probably, because it's hot down there. Generally, yeah. I've heard the nights are cold, though. Yeah. I keep finding my name is Jeff in different movies. <laughs> that's my name. That's the one my mama gave me. Well, there's a different version of that in, um, in a Lego movie when all the cats walk by. And it's like cat names. It's like Milo and Furball and da da da. And the last one is Jeff. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Well, now when I see cats, I want to name Jeff, but I feel like it hurts my friend. Yeah, please don't name cats after me. A lot of people that's, that's would cats. come to me when I was a kid, and they'd be like, I had a dog named Rusty. I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> I have a toilet named John. <laughs> that's that pretty funny. So, I always you get Jeffrey the giraffe from Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that was was, a, it was a G, G though, because yeah. he was like English and snobby. That's Greg's I'm brother. just a redneck. Geoff. Geoffrey. Geoffrey. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Geoffrey. I could have dressed him up like Mr. Peanut. Or Goffrey. And then they shut that place down. And it was so sad. <laughs> that was one of the best places to take your kids and learn how to discipline them and say no to them. Yes. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. We're in the morning. And so we have energy. So. Oh, let me just say, don't name your cats after me, please. Oh, yeah. Cats are just one step like up from snakes there's a community i saw that was talking about how to know whether um you are a black person or a white person simply by your dog's name oh. uh, because <laughs> um white people tend to give their pets human names <laughs> <laughs> which is true that's funny so you can try that one out with your friends um but don't name him jeff whatever no, you do please yeah so, so you can name your kids jeff though Jeffrey the first, the second, the third. I'm the third, so you can catch up. This week's title was Prepare the Way of the Lord, Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Uh, we're continuing in Matthew. I hope that you are enjoying that now that we're out of some of the Christmas stuff. Uh, it might feel less weird. Yeah, it's like Christmas, and then it was like, Merry Christmas. We're doing Christmas again. Extended Advent. Which is good for us. You know that the Christmas hymns are not reserved for Christmas. Yeah, I've tried to sprinkle them right through the year before, and yeah. it just feels weird. It, people, I know people are like, what's happening? Why are you singing Joy of the World? Let's do the time warp We're again. not allowed to think about Jesus being born in a manger. He's Not unless there's not snow. Not in the summertime. Exactly. And evergreens. Yeah, Jesus comes when Santa Claus comes. <laughs> the incense for that day is pine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this week you were taking us through um, the first part of Matthew 3, and largely talking about who is John the Baptist, helping us understand that. I took a, a moment, I'm like, is his name John the Baptist, or is that just what our titles say? And No, in, in verse 1 it says, "Yeah, that's his name, John the Baptist. So John the Baptizer. Take that. I don't know of a John the Presby. but I think the Dutch Bible says calls him John the Dipper. The Dipper? Yeah. The Dunker? But, but I think our translation is good. He baptized people, like which translates... He immersed them under the water. To dunk. To dunk. That's what I was told. John the dunker. So you talked about him, which was, I think was helpful because uh, 
sometimes we, we do gloss over these characters. Yeah. And while we have the opportunity, it's it's good to go ahead and tackle that. Yeah. John is, he's again, he like I said yesterday, he's an interesting man. Like, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got, I mean, obviously, as the forerunner of the Christ, there is a sense that he should be um, not made that big of a deal of. Right. He even says that. I want to sure. decrease so he can increase. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the posture of that, and I think the way he's even, um, we don't know a ton more about him except that he decides to go and fight the royalty, mm-hmm. um, kind of, you know, kind of randomly, um, which is his passion for the glory of God and holiness. But other than that, we don't know a lot about him. And you got to realize that uh, that's, in part, the way the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture to write these things so that you're not putting too much emphasis on this guy because he's preparing the way for the Lord. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to kind of talk about briefly, but just the concept of a forerunner, I don't think that we have that category. Mm. Um, And like a little bit more of what their purpose was, what the effectiveness was, what were they hoping to actually achieve? Like Mm -hmm. what did John do that Jesus couldn't essentially, Mm. you know, that kind of idea. You have any thoughts on that? Um, I I mentioned this very briefly. I said if you wanted to take like a 30,000-foot view or one of the views of John is that he is a representation of the law. Mm-hmm. So he comes and preaches to them um, their sin and tells them the, the, of their great need for the Savior who has not yet come on the scene. Mm. So um, all throughout the Old Testament, you see God's messengers coming with this charge of um, condemnation because of your sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the prophets oftentimes help us see our great lack and mm-hmm. an immense need for God. Yeah. And John's doing the very same thing, except mm-hmm. it's, it is more significant because it's all the prophets. It's John. Boom. It's Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that fits, I think with Matthew's overall narrative of he's, Jesus is getting ready to go out into the wilderness mm-hmm. period, 40 yeah. days instead of 40 years. Um, and then come back and, yeah, and he'll he'll ultimately have victory in the wilderness. Yeah, which, which I hope as we go through this, people, um, in the life of Jesus, we kind of have these highlights. You know, his first miracle or the woman at the well always rises to the top. Obviously, uh, his crucifixion, triumphal inf- entry, things like that, all very good. But I encourage folks, don't gloss over his parables. Don't gloss over... Um, the temptation in the wilderness because mm-hmm. if you look at the big picture of what's taking place the Lord comes upon the scene and directly after he's baptized he goes into the wilderness to be tested and this is an incredibly significant moment yeah, because this is the time of his testing mm-hmm. and it was a real temptation for him mm-hmm. and he overcomes it sure. uh, which proves his faithfulness mm-hmm. um, as he goes forth Yeah, Amen. so don't skip over that small stuff yeah um, well, I just I just wanted to touch on that briefly because it seems a little kind of. Does Jesus just need someone to like dunk him? What makes the dunking of John the Baptist so right. official? Right. When it's Jesus. You know? Right. Well, Matt is going to handle that. I didn't want to get. I thought about yeah. jumping into some of that, and the second the second messenger is Christ, and uh, the second witness is Christ against Israel, mm-hmm. and I wanted to kind of to jump a little bit into his baptism. I'll let Matt handle that. Yeah. Um. But the the forerunner's message per, makes straight paths for him. That that is a call, and that's a part of what repentance is. Mm-hmm. It's straightening out your life, 
so that the glory of God and the kingdom of God can advance. But the reality there is that you can't do that mm-hmm. on your own. You can with the, you know, um, with the spirit's power, you can repent and make the path straight. But if he hasn't blazed a trail through the wilderness, um, which is what John is prophesying from Isaiah, make straight paths for him. He's calling the people to make the straight path for him. And he's also um, reminding them and showing them that they can't make straight paths on their own. The Lord is the one who has to make this blazing trail through the wilderness, which I had a fun conversation with my wife last night about mid uh, sentence when I was reading that prophecy from Isaiah in the sermon yesterday. I started thinking like, oh, this is, this is more post-mill ammo for me. <laughs> a blazing highway, Russ. Make the high places low and level and easy. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll leave this for another time, though. Mm. When? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Uh, yeah, So, because uh, an important component for us in understanding John's role here, and the reason why I bring this up is because Jesus is our forerunner. Yeah. And so, why is he necessary if it's something that I can... Uh, oh, mm. I, I can't do it, right? right. So that, that's, good. that's a helpful uh, piece. Yeah. The other kind of random thing that we were thinking through, and I probably just need to do some more study on it, but we were talking through this idea. You you had said, um, and what is this message? You said, Israel, you've rejected God and become like the pagan nations. Mm-hmm. Repent of your sin, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so one thing that I was thinking of, especially as we've been doing biblical theology, is processing uh, the scriptures through the picture of covenants, which is our primary method. And inside of covenants, you have the idea of the federal head. They're the representative for the people, for the nation, for for whoever the covenant is with. And if the covenant head uh, is faithful, then the people receive blessing. If the covenant head is not faithful, then they receive the curses. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we're tracking, you and I before this, we're tracking, you know, how some of this looks. Because for me, when I was thinking about where we're at in the intertestamental period, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, they don't have a federal head. Yeah. The, the, there was real no, so there was Adam as federal head. Mm-hmm. He falls. And then there is no federal head. I don't think Abraham counts as that yet. He certainly does for his family sure. in a patriarchal sense. I don't think because there's no nation of Israel instituted mm-hmm. until Sinai, mm-hmm. at which point they still don't have a federal head. They have a mediator. Right, because the federal head represents a people, a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, Yeah, we could be wrong on this. And so I don't think they actually truly have that till technically Saul, but really David. Yeah, because David is the, yeah. And then his failure, despite the promise of Second Samuel 7, mm-hmm. ends up in exile, which is the judgment on Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so now then in the intertestamental period, they come back for second temple Judaism after the exile, there is no covenantal head. Mm-mm. That's part of why Herod's nervous because right. he's not Davidic. Right. Yeah. So they're looking for that then. So I, I, part of why I'm bringing this up is if they're in that intertestamental period with no federal head, they have no representative. They have a mediator in the high priest. Yeah. Um, but and the temple is there. They've become like the pagan nations. But they become like the pagan nations. Yeah. And they have no one to really stand in the gap for them in, in a both sense. Now, Jesus ultimately becomes the federal head there and the high priest in the line of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Right. Um, but that question of like, all right, what's the message and who's supposed to listen? Right. 
it kind of matters if I don't have someone representing me in that fashion. Yeah, no, that's good. You sparked a thought that Jesus, as we went through Hebrews, ultimately, as you see, John the Baptist as a prophet, and the Lord is coming, but Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, all wrapped into one. But I, I think we're on the right track there. Somebody smarter, you can phone in and correct us if you want. Regardless, they don't have um, a, a federal head, I don't think, um, and they're looking for a Davidic mm-hmm. Messiah. Yeah. And that's why they were so... Um, surprised and I think um, disappointed <laughs> at, at what Jesus was. Yeah. I don't think they were surprised at um, John the Baptist. Um, and because John the Baptist is a prophet in the spirit of Elijah. So they're, he's the stuff of legends. Yeah. Like that's why they were so, I think um, many people got baptized and truly repented. And then there's a bunch of people that come out to check it out because this guy is what um, the Old Testament prophets were like. So it means that the Messiah is coming. So that he wouldn't have been, with the bugs in his teeth and the honey in his beard, he wasn't that crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, He was actually met their expectations, I I would imagine. Like, (laughs) oh, it's happening. And then, drum roll, here comes Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can anything good come from Nazareth? And they say... We don't like this. And that's why Jesus says later in Matthew 11, um, we're, you're like little children sulking in the corner. <laughs> and John and I are like, hey, yeah. how about we play this? Uh-huh. We, and nothing pleases you because you don't like the, what, what I say. You don't like how I look. You don't like where I come from. Because yep. you had a preconceived idea of what you thought the Messiah was going to look like. Well, you even had both and you didn't like either. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you think that he's coming to free you from from Rome and that's at the core of self-justification and Phariseeism, right? Nothing yeah. pleases you. Yeah. Right? It has to be your standard. Mhm. Amen. Well, l- enough nerdiness. Let's uh let's <laughs> do some further application with these. Uh so you had said uh, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of genetics. It's not something that we're born into. Yeah. Um and some of y'all are just going to have to deal with that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Your broader point in that is like just because your parents bring you to church doesn't mean you're saved. Right. Right. Yeah. And so as we take that thought and draw it into your other uh, large point towards the end of just true repentance, what it's supposed to be. Right. Well, I took that. I took there was a big chunk that I took out um, on the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of genetics. Um, John is telling the Pharisees. Specifically, one thing he is saying to them is, um, just because you claim Abraham and your bloodline, that doesn't that doesn't make you holy. You're still pagan. Well, Jesus just says you're children of Satan. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's what John is saying when he says you brood of vipers, which I yep. love how he just doesn't even let them talk. He just starts yelling at them right away. So, so gentle. No, he he purposefully provokes them, mm-hmm. get a reaction, and. Uh, he knows that he's also seeking to put on display, and Jesus will do this, put on display the hypocrisy of the leaders in front of the people. Yep. Jesus actually does that. Like, hey, I know you have to honor these guys' position, but you, you should not be like them. They're the worst. <laughs> so he does this. Like, So is yep. there ever time to provoke people uh, with the intention of pushing your agenda? Yes, there is. And John shows us that right off the bat in the bringing about um, – the message of Jesus coming. 
So it's not a matter of genetics. I think it's important to note there what he's saying at the core is you can't justify yourself. But I do think maybe in our um, kind of churchy, religious culture here in, you know, the Rust Belt that, uh, you know, grandma was a pretty good faithful Christian. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty easy for us to be, um, fall into that. I see people do that. You talk to people on the street and they'll usually claim that their parents took them to church and yeah, they got away from it. And we talked about this in our evangelism class, class, like, well, Jesus is a friend of sinners, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so if I'm kind of conservative and do my best, then the big man upstairs, you know, will decide when I get to the pearly gates and St. Peter will Look at my yeah. list and, you know, yada, yada. And if I did something bad, I've been making up for it for a while. So that's that's a real, like, pervasive uh, mindset. A yep. And a lot of people claim bloodline, kind of as it were. You know, well, my daddy was a pastor, so I most certainly am going to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm blessed. And so it doesn't matter. You, you know, you're, you're not saved by uh, a spiritual heritage. Praise God for it. If you have it, sure. Like, absolutely, praise God for it. If you have a spiritual heritage, I do think that there's some. You know, we could go down a rabbit trail of the children of believers being holy and and talk about what that means. Um, I'm not going to take it as far as my presby friends because I think they're wrong. That's, that's what you have to deal with. It. <laughs> um, but the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of genetics. Yeah. Um, and so, and you can see here that if you withhold the expectations of Christ from people. And your presentation of the gospel, you're just fostering this issue. Yeah, no, no, assuredly, yeah, most assuredly. So I think where that's important for us is we got to be careful about. I think for our church, I don't see anybody being like, "Well, I have a spiritual heritage, and so I'm good." We could probably um, think we are justified by our orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. You know, for I sure. have yeah. I have a strong theological foundation, therefore. You know, reformed people can fall into this real easy. Oh yeah, we if were talking about that in biblical theology. Yeah, if there's a critique of reformed th- people and reformed theology is that they're they're pretty arrogant. You know, well, at I times mean, we've seen this in the uh, recent culture, Christian culture stuff of the the white collar Christianity. Mm-hmm. These guys that know all the big thoughts and the big words, but yep. they don't bring it down to actually do anything with it. Yeah, that's it, really dangerous. Yeah, this is exactly what you saw happen with Alistair Begg and who I'm I, I know and love. Mm. Um, and who I'm praying for, and um, I hope that he repents. But he, if you want to hear somebody talk about justification, you know, um, federal headship, any of the high doctrines that are incredibly important, and do it like with finesse, mm-hmm. go go listen to him. Yeah. But you start to see this breakdown in this white collar evangelicalism when you start asking, how do you apply that to? Um, the streets. How do you apply that to everyday life? Where yeah. where does white collar theology become blue collar? Because if it doesn't become blue collar somewhere, it ain't gonna work, mm-hmm. right? Because what's gonna bring about the kingdom of heaven is is uh, the work of our hands, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the glory of God in the mundane. So you see that break down a lot, and I think it's this it's this fundamental, perhaps prideful uh, mindset that. If I have the right doctrines, then I can just assume that I'm uh, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in evangelism class too. Um, the bulk of it, you can't present Jesus apart from His work, mm-hmm. but you also can't present the work without Jesus. Like, yep. who saves you? 
Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is why we often say it's the person and work mm-hmm. of Christ that saves you. It's both. So, yeah, I think that I think that we see that a lot, and that people can think that uh, since they got kind of airtight arguments. I mean, I think reformed people are right. And you can be confident in that. Just don't sure. be prideful. But you have to then bring it into personal knowledge mm-hmm. of your center. And exactly. And into situational knowledge. Yeah. And it has, yeah. And how, you can know that God is sovereign, but if you don't live as such, that doesn't matter. Yep. Right. So that's, that's the whole idea of the kingdom of God is not a matter of genetics. I think that we, um, we could fall into it in that way. So one of the big tests for that then is, are you walking in true repentance? Right. And so what, you gave us a good bit on um, that, but. This idea of not just stopping sinning, yeah, uh, that's that's not entirely what you were. It's not what you're saying alone. There's more to it. Yeah. Uh, what else does true repentance look like? If we want to test ourselves and test those around us, or encourage those around us, and what repentance should look like, what more can we do in walking it back? So yeah, it, so as Isaiah one. I can't remember the verse, but Isaiah 1 says that we should stop doing evil and learn to do good. So Isaiah 1 says that we should stop doing evil and learn to do good. And so there's most assuredly a time to stop doing evil. That's the first part, right? (laughs) Um, Stop it. (laughs) Stop doing that. (laughs) And if you look at Isaiah 1, it's all a big um, rebuke of... uh, the people's rebellion and their their uh, festivals and how they are lifting up their hands, but their hands are full of blood. Yeah, in chapter five, it talks about how I think it's five, uh, how they celebrate evil and punish good. Yes, yeah, and so we have to realize that uh, what the scripture is calling us to in repentance is the stopping of evil, which you could put that under the category of confession. Mm-hmm. I'm going to confess this as wrong. I'm going to um, agree with God that this is wrong. God defines what sin is. So I'm going to confess that. But so many people, I think, um, confess sin and believe that it stops there. Right? This is, this is a problem. This is a fundamental problem in the Catholic Church. So the chain that I have always used for that is that we first have to see it then we can grieve it, then we can confess it, then we can repent it. Yeah. And so you can't confess something that you don't know, so you have to see it. It always yeah. starts there. And we have to pray for eyes to see our sin. Sure. And we need to be able to see. We need the law to help show us the disparity between us and holiness. But then a lot of people skip the grieving. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. where the that's where the spirit actually hits your soul and says, oh, no, this disparity that I now see is wrong. That's yeah. where you get... Uh, David and Nathan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I skip the grieving to just confessing. Well, the, the, to, I, I think your underlying point, because we've talked about this before, is that confessing can feel cathartic. It very much it can. can. kind of feel like that grieving aspect, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. not true confession. Well, and what happens in confession is, and this is a good thing about confession, is you bring it to the light, mm-hmm. and there is so much relief. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of the shame of that and the grieving of that, yeah. which you, you great point on that. Nathan confronts David, you are the man, and then Psalm 51 is his his psalm of repentance mm-hmm. and, and his grief and sorrow, but then also his hope and joy in, in God's forgiveness. And he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And that's the thing that tears him up more than anything. Yeah. It, 
you know that that's why David is a man after God's own heart mm-hmm. is that he does these horrible things but he genuinely repents and his heart is not just grieved at the consequences of losing his child mm-hmm. and you know the uh, ramifications that it had within his kingdom but he hurt God, he hurt his name, he hurt his glory, he yeah. sinned against God, and that's the thing that should tear us up the most, mm-hmm. because that's the thing that is going to keep us um, from sinning, Yep. right? Uh, if that is who we sin against, uh, ultimately, that should be the reason for keeping you from sinning, but when we confess, it helps relieve the pressure, mm-hmm. right? It like, lets the pressure out. You know, if you ever had like a, a blister or something, <laughs> and you take a little needle and just relieve some of that fluid, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's oh, and I have that weight off. And then there's a danger in that, that you confess, but now in that confession, you have to turn and do the opposite, mm-hmm. right? So whatever you confessed, now you have to go and do the opposite. And again, it's like a fundamental issue within the Catholic church is that you go to confession, mm-hmm. right? I saw recently um, a, an article about a Catholic convention where they had um, just a ton, like it was, it was like one of these big giant arenas and there was a bunch of chairs set up with priests in them and there was a line like wrapped around the auditorium for people to come and sit. There was like 50 priests there to sit and confess their sins. Jeez. Right. <laughs> and and I'm like, b- b- is and I know that, and I, w- and I would say that some, some Catholics uh, would obviously say we need to go walk in repentance but you see the fundamental problem is yeah. you, i can walk into a catholic church and confess and get a relief from that feeling and then go away not change at all mm-hmm. and so what real repentance looks like is not just confession but doing the opposite so it's not just stopping the sin mm-hmm. but it's doing the exact opposite of the sin and I, I don't think that we think about that enough like you might have to go and walk so I sinned against God and I sinned against my wife and my, in my lashing out in anger or my family, you know, on the way to church, get in the car, mm-hmm. right? They should have gotten the car. Sure. But I had no right to lash out in anger at them. Let's say, um, I confess that before the Lord, uh, before I take communion, I need to look at my wife and children and I need to confess that that was wrong and repent before them. And then not just leave it there. But the next Sunday, mm-hmm. I need to make preparations mm-hmm. so that I'm not putting myself in a place of temptation to be angry and yell at my kids. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. means I got to put out clothes the night before, mm-hmm. make sure they have their baths, you know, that the, the, the coffee's ready to go in the morning. That means I'm going to have to get up earlier, mm-hmm. which means I'm going to have to get in bed sooner mm-hmm. the night before, right? Those, those, that's what walking in repentance looks like. And it's, it's really simple stuff, yeah. right? When we think about the Ten Commandments, I said this at the end of the sermon, it wasn't in my notes, but the Ten Commandments are not just a line that we're not supposed to cross, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to do the direct opposite of the thing that's forbidden. Yeah, they're illustrating a character, characteristic yeah. of God, something right. that should be pursued, Yeah, not just not offended. Yeah, and so it would be a good thing for you, you know, for our church to go and just, just pull up Exodus 20 and go through the Ten Commandments. And look at that and say, what is the direct opposite of this? Yeah, so for example, do not murder. Mm-hmm. We would change to not just make life, but give life. Yeah, make life, give life. So here's, a, here's another example. We, we've talked, in, as we talk about the sanctity of human life this month, and I talked about that last week in the sermon, the evils of abortion. So n- the opposite of abortion is not just not killing babies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
Yes. That's a good start. <laughs> and we want people to stop that. Uh, they should stop that. Um, and it's not just celebrating life of children. Mm-hmm. It's celebrating all people's lives, right? Yep. From the womb to the tomb, people have said before. Like all lives matter? <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. So one group of people that is horribly neglected in our culture is elderly people, mm-hmm. right? American culture seems to have very little respect for their, their elderly, unlike other cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like to put them in little little uh, nursing homes and put them away. Mm-hmm. Right, so we want to we want to honor. So that's a way we we think about that. It's it's also not just having a bunch of kids. Yep. Right. So so if somebody, let's say somebody was tempted to have an abortion or they did have an abortion, they confess that um, before the Lord, and now walking in repentance means going and and uh, investing in the lives of people around you, whether it's your church family or your neighbors, having children, but not just having children raising those children to be godly, mm-hmm. right? Um, not just have crap ton of kids, yep. right? Because ultimately, if you understand the scripture, the blessing is not having a crap ton of kids. In fact, that feels like a curse sometimes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> the blessing is is raising those kids to be godly adults. That's the, the arrows. So yeah. having a quiver full, but repentance is a lot of hard work of training them up. Mm-hmm. Right, so if somebody has been selfish, and I think it's sinful for Christian Christians who can have children, I think it's sinful for them not to have children. Mm-hmm. I think they're violating the scripture. But just having children would doesn't, not be doesn't mean faithfulness. Doesn't mean faithfulness. Raising them up in the fear of the Lord yeah, is faithfulness. There's the first through fourth commandments. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. There's the Shema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Raising them up in the Lord. If if you um if you if our if a lady has realized that she has neglected her home, um, being oriented toward her home, uh, in the pursuit of her own careers outside the home, it is not enough just to say I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. Like w- the scriptures in repentance is not calling you just to go sit at home. Mm-hmm. It's calling you to go and exercise and learn domesticity and yeah. and to cultivate. Uh, a home, the home a economy. beautiful home, right? And to to be a Proverbs 31 woman and, and all that that entails. That's mm-hmm. what repentance looks like. It's not just the stopping of the thing. Yeah, you, It's we, doing the opposite. Yeah, where you come home and you become a multiplier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Brent and I were talking about this yesterday too. It's, it's um, you know, if, if I tell, she said uh, she's tempted when I tell her no on something and we had the occasion to practice this last week. <laughs> When she said, can, can we do this? And I said, no, and gave some reasons why, not an extensive answer why. Um, her temptation is uh, to just bite her tongue, mm. right? And that's good because the, the, um, the disrespectful, evil thing hasn't come out. But if it sits in the mouth, right, yeah. and it sits in the heart, it can develop into bitterness and arrogance and... All sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So honoring her husband doesn't just look like biting her tongue. Honoring her husband looks like mm-hmm. going and seeking to, with a happy heart, do what her husband has instructed, and then seeking to to lift him up and honor him as as uh, we walk in what what he's called us to do. Right, and mm-hmm. trust that 
ultimately, if she has concerns, if she has frustrations, she can trust the Lord ultimately. Yeah. Right? But that's hard though. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy for us to define the problem over and over and over and over again. Right? Yeah. I mean, we live in a culture that defines in and out how to raise children. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, what the problem with the children, children are. Yeah. And then you never implement anything. Yeah, well, this is super easy to understand if we just think about our own children. Yeah. Uh, we want more from them than just not doing stupid. Yeah, right, <laughs> Right. exactly. So Ephesians 2.10 is the works that we're actually supposed to go in and do. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's a fantastic application. Yeah, so. I think, I think that, yeah, you, and you can just, and I would encourage you guys just to think through your own, and I have some questions for our home groups in that, kind of in that realm. What are some of your sinful proclivities and what is the exact opposite of that thing mm-hmm. that you need accountability in doing? Yeah. Right? I used the example on Sunday of pornography, you know, and the opposite of not failing in pornography is is um, going and actually loving um, somebody according to God's standard. But your spouse, yeah. Yeah, your spouse, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be God's standard. Mm-hmm. That was what I was implying. Well, action. This is true. Yeah, this is true. Spurgeon said, uh, speak in a way to be understood and also not to be misunderstood. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, that's a hard one. Right. So yeah. for our for our singles, being celibate is good, being faithful in that, but also repentance might look like you, probably going to look like you, go find a find spouse. Find a spouse. Go get married. Mm-hmm. Go get married, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's a fantastic... I, uh, process and, and a great rubric to start with. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. So we're looking at these characteristics of God that are calling us towards holiness. Yeah, that's active righteousness. Yeah, let me read you this scripture and then I'll shut up uh, on this idea. Ephesians four, um, twenty eight. I I use this a lot. It just slipped my mind yesterday when I was uh, giving that analogy. So it says in Ephesians four twenty eight, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone who is in need. Mm-hmm. So the thief is not told to stay away from money. Mm-hmm. The thief is told to confess his sin and in repentance, go work hard so that you have enough for yourself and for your people and not to stop there, but to go and do the exact opposite of what he did before. He used to take from people. Mm-hmm. Now he is working diligently so he can give to people. Mm-hmm. That's the process. That is true repentance. Not to make this too terribly obvious, but I hope that you see the scheme at play everywhere in our ministry because what we've just illustrated for you for the past 20 minutes is go know, love, and obey. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. So know him. It's not just enough to know him. You have to love him. You're in true relationship with him, and true relationship goes to work. Obey. I want to encourage you to do that, and we'll see you next week. Bye.